Good morning, Crosspoint. My name is Sam Amick. My wife, Chris, and I are members here, the Crosspoint family, and we are very glad to be able to share uh, in the worship time. And I'm very glad and wish I can share the scripture with you this morning, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 40. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 40. And it states this. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision is not, uh, does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each, each of you remain in that situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not let it concern you. But you can become but if you can, can become free, by all means take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned, and if a, mar if a virgin marries, she has not sinned, but such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited, so from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. His own interests are divided. The unmarried woman or the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of, of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. If any man thinks he is acting improper, improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, if she is getting beyond the usual age for marriage and he feels that he should marry, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. 
But he who stands firm in the heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has decided in his own heart to keep her as his fiance, will do well. So then he who marries his fiance does well, but he who does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. And I think that I also have the spirits of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sam. Good morning. For those who... uh, may not know me. My name is Kent, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crosspoint, and I am excited that you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. On November 15th, 2022, just about a month ago, uh, there was a treasure chest full of valuable items estimated to be worth over a million dollars, and that treasure chest was put on um, an auction website and is open for bidding. Originally, this treasure chest uh, was placed by a millionaire named Forrest Fenn somewhere in the Rocky Mountains about 2010. Fenn left a poem as the only clue to where the treasure was located. And over the last decade, many people have searched for this treasure. Some abandoned careers wasted their complete life savings to find this treasure. One person was put into prison because they were found digging up graves in Yellowstone National Park, and five others died while trying to find this treasure. The treasure was ultimately found in uh, 2020, and after a couple years, is now being sold to the highest bidder. Now, the actions of the more desperate treasure hunters revealed something. It revealed that they viewed this treasure as their utmost importance. They put their livelihood on the line putting their hope in finding this treasure to bring them happiness in their lives above anything else. It showed, as for some, as it cost them their lives. And this brings to mind what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what you find valuable in this life is where you're going to put your time, your energy, and your money. For these treasure hunters, their treasure was a financial treasure, but for a person's treasure, it doesn't have to be specifically something related to finances. It can be popularity, wanting to be liked by somebody. For students, especially during this time of year, during finals, a treasure can be a good grade. For others, a treasure can be a relationship status. It's easy to see something, to think that something can bring you satisfaction. And it's when we face this temptation that we need to remember that Jesus needs to be our supreme treasure because he alone can bring complete satisfaction. In our passage this morning, the passage that Sam read um, earlier, uh, we see three actions that Paul tells the Corinthians to remember Jesus as supreme treasure. You see, Paul writes, writing to the Corinthians for them to pause, to ask, and to navigate. Now, if you need help remembering these three actions, use the acronym PAN, um, like you're panning for gold. And here's your spiritual PAN 
to remind you of your supreme treasure that you have in Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Now for those who might be visiting here or haven't been with us in a while, we're uh, in this middle of the study of 1 Corinthians. And uh, I just want to put this passage into context a little bit so it doesn't seem isolated in, in what we're going about to read. The context for this passage is that Paul is addressing a question that the Corinthian church had. We read this in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. It says this, Now in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have... Is, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? Paul takes the first half of 1 Corinthians 7 to address this question as he addresses biblical sexuality within the context of marriage. He calls sex a gift in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Now Paul adds that it's not just married people that have a gift. Single people also have a gift. And we see this in verse 7 of chapter 7. I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift and another has that. Paul says that both married and single people have a gift. And it's in the second half of 1 Corinthians 7 that Paul explains the gift that a single person has. So with that, let's begin reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 17. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God, when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you, but if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. Let's stop here for a moment and just dive into these first eight verses of our passage. Here we see Paul telling the Corinthians, I want you to pause where you're at. Pause to remind yourself of your identity in Christ. Paul uses various situations that the Corinthians uh, could have found themselves in. Some in this church at Corinth um, were Greek, so therefore they were uncircumcised. Some were Jews and had been circumcised. Some were slaves and some were free. He uses these various situations to make this point, that no matter the situation in society, a believer's focus should be on following God's commands and who they are in Christ. If a believer is tempted to bend to the approval of society to find a approval in what other people think, they need to pause and remind themselves of their identity in Christ. And we see this in, in verse 19 that we read. Verse 19, circumcision does not matter. Uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands 
is what matters. See, the main point for Paul is that for the believer, is for the believer to be content in their relationship with God. Following God's commands is what needs to be their most, uh, utmost concern. Now, there's some nuance to this because, obviously, if there is a sinful situation, uh, God doesn't want you to remain in that sin as a believer. And this is implied when he says, keep God's commands, which would be implied to, you know, flee sexual or flee sin, flee uh, sexual temptations and pursue godliness. One commentator writes, it is important to remember that Paul did not suggest that believers should never change their status. He said that they should seek to know God, how God has called them, and to retain the places God has assigned them. His general rule was Christians should remain as they are in relationships and service unless God assigns them new tasks. So, in this first action to pause, Paul is saying remain where God has you until he assigns you a new task. To pause and to remind themselves of their identity in Christ. Now, Paul then uses this idea of remaining in the situation that God has called you in to set up his next point to the Corinthian church, and that is to uh, remain as they are as it relates to their relationship status. Remain as they are as it relates to their relationship status. And to find out what more that means, let's continue reading verse 25. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 7. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life and I'm trying to spare you. And this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. Here we see the second action of our acronym of PAN. We see the word ask. Paul is saying, I want you to ask God for guidance. In verse 26, we see this. Paul calls uh, this current age that the Corinthian church is in a present distress, which is to be believed as a famine um, and also an earthquake that probably happened around that time that Paul is writing this. And he's writing this to the church of Corinth and telling them, instead of just doing what makes you feel good, instead of doing what you, what you think is right, ask God for guidance on how to best glorify him in your current season of life, whether single or married. Asking guidance if it's best to marry or to remain single. Practically speaking, Paul says in these times of distress, it's usually easier to care for one person than it is to care for multiple people. And so he's practically given some advice. But at the same time, he clarifies that it doesn't make it wrong if God has called two people to marry during a difficult time. The next part of asking God for guidance is asking God on how to live. How to live with an eternal mindset 
while glorifying God in our present relationships. On one hand, we need to have our eyes focused on God, seeing things from an an eternal perspective. On the other hand, Paul writes earlier in 1 Corinthians 7 that in a marriage, each spouse should be fulfilling their marital duty in serving the other. And he also says in the letter in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So at both times, I can have an eternal mindset while loving my spouse well. And this is some of the advice that Paul is giving here in the second half of 1 Corinthians 7. And he ends with, uh, by asking God for guidance so that we can navigate. And this is going into our third point of 1 Corinthians, the second half of 1 Corinthians 7, navigate. Paul says we need to navigate what God wants us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's finish reading up 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 32. Verse 32. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may, be, how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefits, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. If any man thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, If she is beyond the usual age for marriage, he feels he should marry. He can do what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. But the one who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, has decided in his heart to keep her as his fiancée will do well. So then, he who marries his fiancée does well, but he who does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord." But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. I think that I also have the Spirit of God. In these final eight verses, Paul, uh, we see Paul give his concluding point to the original question that the Corinthians posed in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Remember, uh, the question was, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? We talked about earlier that Paul says that in a marital context, it was actually good for that to happen. It was a gift sent from God to have sexual relations within a a marital context between a man and a woman. Here is the second part of Paul's answer. He says, if you are single or unmarried, it is good for you not to seek out sexual relations. Paul says that there is this gift that single people have that if ignored, seeking sex can be a distraction. It says, this gift that single people have is being able to serve the Lord with an undivided attention. Now, if I can just be personal with you for a moment, I wish I, have, I, wish I learned this truth when I was younger, especially in my late teens and early 20s. To be honest, uh, when I was that age, when I was in college, I, I heard this term gift of singleness, and I uh, ran the opposite direction from it because I thought that it was a term that meant a uh, person didn't want to be married or didn't have uh, sexual desires. Well, if you know anything about me, I hate being alone. I love being with people, and so I had a, a fear of, of being alone. And I knew for my own life, um, I desired to be married, 
And I also struggled with sexual temptation, so I knew that um, I also struggled to be married in order to have sex. So for my own sexual temptations, I couldn't wait to be married. I thought that there was no way that a singleness, that singleness is a gift, that there was no way that it was any benefit to me during this time of my life. This is because I viewed singleness in a false way. I was believing lies that Satan was telling me about my status as a single person. I didn't see serving God with my undivided attention as a, truly as a gift. I didn't think that that aspect could fully satisfy me. I was trying to find satisfaction elsewhere, whether it was relationships or other things. And I missed out the majority of my teens and 20s um, when I was in college. I missed out on enjoying the gift that God gives a single person because I failed, and this is key, I failed to see Christ as my supreme treasure. I failed to see Christ as my supreme treasure. So I, I encourage you, for those who are single and unmarried, navigate this season by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be dependent upon God for your decisions. In all things, seek to glorify God above all else to try to find your full, ultimate satisfaction in Him. And if God guides you into marriage, seek to glorify God in that marriage above all else. I think this is where Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to understand that um, ultimately his answer is this. Whether you're single or whether you're married, live out your purpose as God's creation. That purpose of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. And this happens when you see God, when you see Jesus Christ as your ultimate treasure. A pastor by the name of John Piper put it this way. How we live in our marriage how we live in our singleness will show if Jesus is truly our supreme treasure. So maybe you're sitting here this morning as a believer, and you're being tempted to seek out satisfaction in something other than Jesus, whether it be relationships or something else. I know it's the Christmas season. You see ads on TV all the time, and it's their job to try to entice you to be unsatisfied with what you currently have so that you can go out and buy things that you don't have. The, these ads, I, and I felt this in my own heart of trying to battle with the temptation to find satisfaction in something other than Jesus. So whether it's relationships or something else, I want you to take your spiritual pan, remind yourself of the supreme treasure that you have already in Christ so that you can pause, remind yourself of your identity, you can ask, ask God for guidance to navigate through this and then and to, to navigate to see what God wants you to do by the power of his Holy Spirit. Maybe you're listening here today, you're here this morning, and you don't see Jesus as your supreme treasure. You, you don't have this right relationship with God. You've never confessed Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. I want you to use that same acronym, PAN, this morning, I want you to pause. Pause and consider Jesus. Consider that Jesus is who he says he is. In John's gospel, John records Jesus saying this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
I want you to pause for a moment and seriously think about if you were to die tonight and stand before God, would you be found guilty of sin and therefore cast into eternity apart from God forever and hell? Because if you realize that this is the case, I want to encourage you to move to the next letter, to ask. I want you to ask God to forgive your sins. I want you to ask Jesus to become Lord of your life. And by doing so, you confess that Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient to cover your sins and so that you are no more condemned by God the Father, but rather seen as an adopted son or adopted daughter of God. By doing this, you're also confessing that your life is not meant to glorify yourself, but rather meant to glorify God. And if you're ready to ask God to do this, I want you then to navigate. I want you to navigate the next steps of moving forward from this morning to live a life that glorifies God by the power of the Holy Spirit. A life that truly sees Christ as your supreme treasure. You know, Jesus gave us the greatest gift of all, giving us a way to be in a right relationship with God. The greatest gift of all. It should be our our utmost treasure, our supreme treasure to attain that gift. And in this Christmas season where gifts are exchanged, let us remember that that is the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation. And by accepting this gift, we're able to see other gifts that God gives us, gives us gifts in our singleness and gives us gifts in marriage. And this gift, this ultimate gift, Jesus, our ultimate treasure, is worth everything. Like those desperate treasure hunters that I was talking about at the beginning of the sermon in that story. Jesus is the ultimate treasure. He deserves our entire livelihood to give up everything for Him. Because He is worth it. He is worthy. He should be our ultimate treasure. So I ask you, is there something that is competing in your life today that is blinding you from your ultimate treasure? I ask you to pause, to ask, and then to navigate by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Father God, I just want to thank you for this morning and just thank you for... um, Tough passages like this in 1 Corinthians 7, um, where it can seem awkward, uh, it can uh, seem kind of um, mundane. God, I just pray that we would continue to see your truth, your word as beautiful, that we would continue to see you as our supreme treasure, that when we're tempted to look at other things, God, that you would help us to pause and to remind of who, ourselves of who you are. And that we would ask you to give us guidance so that we can navigate this life in a way that glorifies you and you alone. God, I just pray that for your continued grace on all of our lives as it feels like it's a constant battle every single day to to rest in your sovereignty, to truly trust in your grace. God, I just pray that you would continue to forgive us, continue to strengthen us as we navigate this life to glorify you. We love you and we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
As we close, I just want to remind all of us of this truth in, in Jude 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish, with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority for all time, now and forever. Amen. Christ is the ultimate treasure. Amen to that. Yes, he is worthy of our glory and our praise. Let us live this week in that reality, glorifying him with all of our lives.